Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this section in, in Matthew and help us to see what you would have us to see from this in your son's precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do your tra disciples transgress the tra traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses his father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father and mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever you might be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Elias, Eli, Elisha, or excuse me, Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, for doctrines, the commandments of men. So we're going to look at this. Jesus has just gotten done uh, ministering to the 5,000. What verse you end with? Nine. Chapter 15, 15, 1 through 9. So Jesus is done, done. He's ministered to the people. Remember, he, he crossed the water on foot. Peter got out of the boat to walk on the water, sank, and he took his eyes off Jesus. And they ended up on the other side. And, and, they, and the scribes and Pharisees, who are the leaders, come to Jesus and say, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Okay, this is very important for us to understand what they were disobeying. They were not disobeying anything written down in the law. Uh, but the Jews had a whole system of teachings beyond what the Bible carries in it. And they insist and have the since Jesus' day and before that these traditions came straight from Moses, that Moses delivered them to Joshua and Joshua to his successor and the priests all the way through the years have passed these traditions down verbatim, verbally, and they've never been written down. And so they're coming, they're saying, okay, Moses taught, basically is what they're saying, Moses taught us, never was written down, but Moses taught us that you don't eat unless you've washed your hands. Now this is probably true. It probably was taught, but it is not scripture. And we want to be careful because oftentimes, even in our Christianity, we can get caught up teaching the doctrines of man rather than what the Bible says. And it happened, we've talked about it, you know, it wasn't so long ago that they said, you know, Christians don't go to movies, they don't play cards, women don't wear, you know, don't uh, have to wear dresses, they can't wear makeup, and all these things were what made you godly before God and none of it is really scriptural and so this is kind of what they were doing they're going Jesus your disciples are disobeying disobeying Moses is what they're trying to say without coming straight out and saying it they're disobeying the traditions of men and uh, <clears throat> Jesus answered it you know answered to them and go uh, why do you transgress the commandments of God with your traditions okay so he turns it right back around him I'm going okay you you've asked us why we're transgressing or being disobedient or literally walking beside the traditions of man but I'm going to ask you why are you disobeying God's law all right so he turns it right right back around on them and remember the scribes and Pharisees in their mind are completely righteous they keep the they keep the law as they've reinterpreted the law all right and so Jesus is saying you're disobeying God's commandments by the what you're doing and he's going to give them a specific example. He says, your traditions, your, your directions by word of mouth are in contradiction to God's word. And this is why one of the most important things for us is whenever we're making a decision, we go to the word of God. And if what we're making, trying to make a decision for is contrary to the word of God, we shouldn't do it. All right? Now, if it's contrary to what we think the Word of God says, and we can back it up with the verses that we want, that at least becomes our understanding of it. But there are places where it's very clear, and Jesus is going to go to one of those in this tradition, and there's places where it's very clear, you shall not do such and such. 
And if you violate that, then you are definitely violating God's word. And we've talked about this. Some people will go, well, if you smoke, you're defiling the temple of God, including the temple of God, and they'll give you a whole bunch of scriptures on why that's bad and terrible, and I understand why they believe that way. But to try to make others believe that way because they do is not right. Because it is not a thou shalt not. There are people that say you shouldn't drink. And drinking is probably not the wisest thing in the world. But the Bible does not condemn drinking. It does condemn drunkenness. All right, so if you can't drink without getting drunk, then you, de- you shouldn't drink at all. So, but here he says, you're breaking God's command in verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. He that curses his father or mother, let him die the death. Okay, so here he's saying, basically going to the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Revere them, lift them up, give them, give them an honored place. And he says, you're not doing that. It's basically what he's getting ready to say. You're not doing that. Because he goes in verse 5, But you say, whoever shall say to his father and mother, it is a gift by whatsoever you might profit me and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Okay, this is what they say. This is a gift. What they're saying is, I have dedicated this to God. All right? I own it. It's mine. When I die, it goes to the tabernacle. It's given to God. And so, Mom and Dad, even though you want it, this is God's gift. I can, u- I can use it until I die, but I can't give it to, some, to somebody else to help them. All right? And basically, he's saying, you know, this is talking about having parents that are sickly and need a, in need of their help. They're beyond working age. They're suffering. They need some help. And they're saying, oh, sorry, Mom and Dad, can't help you. I know you raised me. You gave me my start, but can't help you because I've given all that I have to God and basically they were robbing their children also their inheritance by saying this because they're going when I die everything goes to God which kind of interesting to me is in our day and age in America we've got so many places that are trying to do these uh, giving of your assets to some entity after you die which is great if you're single or or no family somebody might as well have it and you might as well direct it but for somebody who has family, they're taking the inheritance that belongs to their kids and saying, ah, we're just going to give it away. Kids, you don't get anything. When I die, you don't get anything. And for some kids, that may be just what they need, but not all. And, uh, but this is basically what they've done. They're going, God, we've, uh, I've dedicated. I've got a million dollars, God. I'm going to live on it for my lifetime. And if I manage to spend it all, none of it goes to the church. <laughs> None of it goes to you, God, if I can spend it all, but nothing's going to my parents, nothing's going to my kids, because, God, it's yours. I get to live on it, but it's yours. Which means toward the end of their life, you know, especially if they lived to an old age and kind of knew their death, by the time they got done, there was no money left. They'd spent it all on themselves. But it was a gift to God. They, couldn't, they could have a reason not to help anybody else in their families. And God's saying, Jesus is saying, uh, you're saying that you're free of this, and he goes, Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. None effect, void of, void of force. Because you have this tradition, and you're saying that I don't have to honor my parents because I've got this tradition, and tradition is trumping God's laws. And unfortunately, we see this happen all the time. People will go, well, I can go do whatever I want because God's going to cover my sins with his grace. You know, and while, yes, that is true, that you'll have your sins covered by God's grace when you commit sins, it is not someplace you want to go. And Paul said, you know, should we sin so that grace can abound? He goes, God forbid. I'm a little confused about the, the uh, mother and father. Who is it that's not leading to the other? Their son. Their son is not helping them. But by, also, the old folks need help. The old folks need help. They, they're no longer working. They're... they're they're needing some supplies. They need, you know, food. They, you know, they can't go out and eat. They can't. Right. And by saying I've given this as a gift to God, they're not given to their parents when they need help. But they're also not able to give to their children upon their death because they've designated everything belonging to God. And what they did then would be make sure they spent all the money so it didn't even go to God. So, I mean, they were being selfish all the way along. 
Oh, sorry, Mom and Dad. I know you need uh, you know a couple lambs to be able to get through this winter, but uh, tough luck. This is everything I own belongs to God. That was the tradition they had made. Uh, not Did everybody do this tradition? No. But many of the Pharisees and scribes go, well, you know what? I'm just going to be able to keep my wealth. Nobody, nobody can get it unless I choose to give it to them. I'm just saying it's a gift to God. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've given this to God, and God's more important than you, Mom and Dad. I'm sorry, but God's much more important than you, and I've given this all to God. When I die, it all goes to God, so I can't, I can't be giving it to you. Okay. And we see this oftentimes. It's the same mentality of the workaholic who says, because of the good of my family, I've got to go out and work all the time so that I can support my family, even though the family suffers. And this happens in the church. I've got to serve God so much. I got to, when doors are open, I've got to be there. I've got to do everything. You know, haven't seen my wife for, for three months, but she'll understand because I'm serving God. Haven't seen my kids for, for, for you know, months, but they'll understand because I'm serving God. And there was a time when this was the tradition. Pastors totally ignored their families because they were serving God. And they under, I understand where they come from, the scriptures that they were using, but it was a bad place to be. And this is that same type of mentality. God, you trump everything else, so I'm giving everything to you. And, you know, sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. Sorry, son and daughter, you know, this is given to God. You know, you wasted your money. You've got to go out and earn, earn your money. And... Uh, well, I need a new I need a new camel. I need a new flock of uh, flock of sheep, and they go out and buy it with God's money that they couldn't give to anybody else, uh, and they could use it as freely as they wanted because it was only on their death that it went actually went to God. Wealth to our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, passing on passing on our wealth to our families is very much part of what. Uh, Solomon talked about in many places and so here you're seeing that's violated and this is why he's saying you're violating the scriptures everything the scriptures say now he stayed focused on the mom and dad he really didn't get into the children and all these other areas but he could have gone right down the row you know you're not helping your children you're not willing to help the poor because the poor knocks on your door and asks for asks for help and you go sorry it all belongs to God you can't have any made a great excuse you know, everything I own belongs to God, so sorry I can't help you, poor person, mom, dad, kids, uh, neighbor, anybody who needed help. Sorry, it all belongs to God. I can't help you. Easy excuse, easy, easy to be hard-hearted because it all belonged to God. Oh, well, it's a huge amount of selfishness. And uh, he says, you have made God's commandment of void of force with your traditions. And this is quite a strong statement. He goes, with your traditions, you're ignoring God's word. And this is something that happens. Oftentimes in churches will have this happen where you run a church a certain way. And, you know, Baptist churches used, used to and still are famous to, to a degree for this. You go to a Baptist church, you have a benediction, you have a opening announcements, you have three songs, you have an offering and a special song, you have a preaching, uh, preaching time, and you have your closing song. And if you go to many Baptist churches, that's the exact format you're going to find in many of them. It is shifting a little bit now in this day and age with the choruses and everything. But I grew up in that tradition. You go into a Baptist church, you knew, you, you knew what was going to happen. You knew, what, you, know, you knew the routine. Catholicism has lots of this ritualistic, this is what you do. The Lutherans have a lot of the same thing. This is what you do every service. This is all the traditions that get built up around what God wants us to do. And sometimes traditions are good. Sometimes traditions are built within God's word and they're okay. Other times traditions aren't so good because they're not founded in his word. And they're sometimes opposite of his word, just as Jesus is telling them this idea of giving God all that you own so you don't have to help mom and dad and everybody else is very opposite of the word. And Jesus is saying, you, you've made man's traditions more important than God's word. And we need to be careful of that even in our day-to-day -day walk. How many times do we get wrapped up in, well, this is the way we do it? May or may not be scriptural. And we're going, well, uh, this is, I've done it this way for 30 years, God. What do you mean it's not right? Uh, I've, I've been obedient and, and done good works just because I think I'm going to get to heaven from that. And God goes, nope, that's not... <laughs> 
You know, I don't care what the churches have taught. I don't know what you care what you believe. It's not going to get you to heaven because it's Jesus and Jesus only. And this is what we find as we give the witnessing with the way of the Master. We're trying to get people to understand works aren't what get you to heaven. It's the grace of Jesus Christ and, and his sacrifice. And so here he is. He's saying, you've done this. And he says, verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far for, from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, for doctrines the covenants of men. So he's going in, he goes, quotes Isaiah, and the verse from Isaiah that he's quoting is Isaiah 29, 13, if you don't have a study Bible that puts that in there. So Jesus quotes Isaiah, he says, This people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How many people, maybe you've done it yourself at various times, how many times have you said the right things about God but didn't act as if you really believed what you said? All of us have been there. All of us have done that, some more than others, and we see it often. I've seen many people will say the right things. They know what to say. They know how to sound religious. They know how to sound spiritual. They know how to speak the right words, and then you watch them go right out and not live it. They'll talk all about how they're supposed to love people and preach the gospel, and then they go out and uh, attack people with their words and show no love at all. And here's what it's saying. They draw nigh. They come close to me with their mouth and their words, but their heart is far. And this word for far is extremely far. It's not even just a distance. He says they are very far. They're making people, and this is the word hypocrite, stage actor, somebody who is showing two faces, you know, oh, God called them hypocrites because the Pharisees, because they did not obey in reality just what they changed. And the Sadducees really didn't care because they didn't believe the spiritual anyway. The Sadducees didn't believe in the, in the resurrection or heaven. They were basically eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we die. Get as much fun in as you can today as long as it's within certain guidelines, but go out and have lots of fun because we're going to die tomorrow and then we're worm food. They're, they're kind of the some part of the original worm food set, you know. Our body gets buried and it's no longer, nothing else happens. The Pharisees believed in the spiritual. They just wanted to do things their own way, okay? Uh, and they would do simple things, like you weren't able to, on a Sabbath day, you weren't to walk more than a certain distance. So what did they do? They tied a rope to their closet or their house. They walked to the end of the rope that was the distance of what they were allowed to walk. They'd tie another rope to that rope because they were still tethered to their house and say, because this rope stretches all the way to my house, I'm still at home, and walk to the, with his next rope and tie another rope until they got to wherever it is they wanted to go and start their, start their Sabbath day walk. Okay, it, you know, get to the friend's house that's you know, three miles away, but there's this long rope rope stretching between their between the houses and probably not three miles because most of the towns weren't that big but but you see what i'm saying they they go well i'm still tethered at home this this rope anchors me to home so i'm still home and this is the kind of stuff that they would do this idea of declaring all my possessions belong to god so mom dad i can't help you son daughter i can't help you beggar needing some food i can't help you because everything i own belongs to god I can use it however I want for me until, the, until I die, and then it all goes to God. And they, this was a common thing for the Pharisees, to bend the rules, to, to twist the rules. And then they would tell you that I keep all the rules. Okay? I don't keep them the way they're written, but I keep them the way that we have reinterpreted them according to the traditions of man. So that, again, they put God's rules underneath man's rules. And we need to be, we, you know, we want to be careful because we tend to oftentimes do the same thing ourselves. You know, we're going to, we sit there twisted and go, well, I can find a scripture that will allow me to, to maybe say I don't have to do this. Uh, we're seeing a lot of this in our day and age when people will reinterpret the verses that talk about homosexuality and say, well, they're not really talking about homosexuality. So homosexuality is not wrong because they never use the word homosexual. And they will twist it and say, you know, leaving the natural affection of men for women and, and turning toward men was not describing, you know, homosexuality in their mind. I have no idea what they think it's interpreting 
interpreting, but that's what they'll say. When the Old Testament says, man shall not lie with the, another man as with a woman, they'll go, well, see, that's not a problem. You know, you can lie, you know, and they will twist it and turn it and, and upside down and on its ears. And we need to be careful with this because it is so important that we follow God's word. When God says something, we need to believe it and act upon it. And it's very important for us to do that. And he goes in verse 9, But in vain do they worship me in emptiness, foolishness. If we're placing traditions above God, our worship of him is not correct. And this is very important. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. And the Holy Spirit indwells us, so he's the one that helps us spirit uh, worship and in true understanding of what we know about the Bible. And this is why the truth shall set us free. We get into the word. The more we know about the word, the more freedom we will have in it if we apply it. And so often we want to try to twist it. Uh, we call it human interpretation. Human interpretation, making it a private interpretation is how Paul said. Private interpretation, I make it mean what I want it to mean rather than what it says. And we need to be careful of that as believers, and we need to be aware of it when other people do it. A lot of times when somebody says, well, the Bible says such and such, and I will ask them where. Especially if they have any teaching responsibilities, I'll ask them where almost always. If I don't know what they're talking about, I'll ask them where. Give me the verse, go out and find the chapter and verse, and tell me where it says that. And these can be things as simple as cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, there are a lot of people who believe that that is in the Bible. And it's not. Now, the Bible talks about living clean and being clean and keeping yourself pure from clean, but it has no, that is not in the Bible. How about this one? The love of money, uh, money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? Do you th and people will swear it's in the Bible. They leave out one very important uh, part of that verse. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so we want to be careful what we accept. Make sure that what you're accepting is in the scriptures. <laughs> because I've heard many pastors, and I listen, like I say, I listen to lots of them, and every once in a while, even though I've listened to good pastors, I'll hear them say some of the stupidest things <laughs> and quote that it's from the Bible, and I'll go look for it, and I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. And it's just something they were taught at some point, and they've never researched it out, and they... They believe the person who taught them and who taught, you know, whoever taught them, and they just teach it on a continual basis without ever checking it out. Which is why I share with everybody, I want everybody that I teach to be good Bereans. Go into the scriptures and research what I'm saying because I'm just as possibly guilty of, any, of doing what I hear them saying without knowing it because I've learned things 30, 40 years ago that just became part of who I was and my thinking. And if I teach them without thinking about it or researching it, I can do the same thing they do. And because we're all so easily deceived, easily deceived, especially if we listen to somebody who's a good teacher. And I keep bringing this up and I keep reiterating it all the time, no matter how good the teacher you're listening to, research what they say to make sure that it's scriptural. Because it is very easy to have somebody teach something that's not accurate and it can sound really good it can sound really good most of what I hear sounds good and I can understand how they came up with it but we need to be careful Paul praised the Bereans he says you go to the scriptures and, and research what I say now if Paul is saying that they should do that then we should say yes research everybody and as I have said if you ever sit under a teacher who says believe me just because I'm smarter than you are all I know I know, I know the scriptures, I know the Greek, I know the Hebrew, I know this, that, or the other thing, and I am really smart, so you can just believe me. Get away from that pastor, that teacher, as quick as possible, because whether they're not wrong at that point in time, they're setting you up that one day when they teach something wrong, not on purpose, and I'm not saying they're going to do it on purpose, but someday they'll teach something that's wrong. I can guarantee I have taught things that aren't accurate, you know, completely accurate. And there's things that I've went, went through and go, God, I used to believe this and teach this, and now I realize that, I'm, that I was wrong. God, please erase the memory of those people who, who heard the wrong teaching. And that's the problem with being a teacher is you're, you're, what you say is accountable for a long time because people are going to remember it, especially if you teach children. 
many things that we believe incorrectly were taught to us as children growing up and we just got it went in we didn't know how to even think back then critically or, or scripturally and the teacher would tell us something something I heard quite frequently in Sunday schools was God doesn't like you when you do that you know and that used to irritate me because all it did is scare kids about God you know God still loves them no he's not happy when they sin but he loves them and we need to be careful, but that you see how that little phrase, misquoted, <laughs> could lead a child to fear God in a way that dr- takes them away from God. You know, very simple. Yes, God doesn't like what you do, but he still loves them. And we need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. And it can come out just that simple. You're teaching along and you teach something and you just phrase it just slightly off and somebody doesn't catch it. Now when you do it to adults, normally some adult in the group is gonna catch you and say, you said such and such, did you, you know, is that really what you wanted to say? And that's how I've approached pastors in my days sometimes. I'm going, pastor, I thought I heard you say this. Is this what, is this what you meant? And usually they go, oh no, that's not what I meant. You know, and they might go back and listen to it on a tape or if they had a tape and go, you know, uh, I had one pastor, he kept going, yes, and Ralph told me this, corrected me the other day, and I hated that because I went to him in private because I didn't want him to be embarrassed or any way, you know, and he was a very humble man, and I, but I hated what he did to me in that process because it lifted me up as the correction, and I didn't like that. So the most important thing is you go to somebody who's teaching, you go to him in private because, number one, I never knew whether I heard it right unless I could listen to it on a tape and replay it a couple of times and go, uh, yeah, he said this. So, uh, But even then, I would go gently to the pastor or the teacher because I know how easy it is to have your, eye teeth, your, your tongue get tangled around your eye teeth and not see what you're saying. You know, it's a uh, prayer for them. But, but again, as long as you're going with a gentle, loving attitude, it can be okay. Especially if you're just saying, you know, pastor, I thought I heard you say this, or teacher, I thought I heard you say this, and... You know, I'm just confused because that doesn't sound scriptural. And they may go, I don't think I said that. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, I know better. Or they might even say, yes, I did say that, and I meant this, and here's why. And at that point, you have to think, is this serious enough for me to, to break fellowship, or is it a, a minor, minor difference between us? Most of them are minor differences uh, and not worth breaking fellowship over. So, you, but you just you go gently. And, and I've said this over and over, we all know what it's like to be attacked by somebody. You know, they, they may tell us they're doing it lovingly and because they care for us, but they're, the way they come across, is there's no love at all. And then we also hopefully have known what it means to be lovingly corrected. Where somebody says something pretty hard to you, but you know it's in love, then you know that they care for you. You might not care for it while they're speaking on it, but it's later on when God starts, you know, talking to you and go, you know, they're right, you know, you're, they were, they're really, they're, they are correct, and, and you realize it was in love. Even if somebody attacks you, be aware that it, they may still be right. Give it, give it credence, you know, some credence, think about it, even though they do it wrong. And there's lots of people that correct incorrectly uh, and are very harsh and, and nasty and mean in their correction. And they may be doing it out of self-righteousness, but God may still use them to make you think about what you've done and what you've, or what you've said or did. And sometimes, even though they've done it wrong, they may still have a valid point. They, they should have spent more time in prayer and coming at you with a loving, loving attitude, but they may still be right. And so you want to be able to be of soft, tender heart and accept, accept correction, even, even if it's done wrong. All right, verse 10. And he called the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand, not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the man, out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then came his disciples and said unto them, Know you not, uh, know you that the Pharisees were offended after, after they heard this saying? And he answered them and said, Every plant which my f- heavenly Father has not planted shall be up, uh, rooted up. Let them, let them alone. They, they be the blind leadi- leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also without, yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever enters into the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out in the draught? 
But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. All right, so Jesus gets done talking to the scribes and Pharisees, calls them hypocrites, say that you're far away from me, even though you're, you know, you're saying that you're close to me. Then he calls the multitude. And, you know, it's always funny to watch Jesus. He, he's very hard and harsh on the scribes and Pharisees because they're not wanting to know the kingdom of God, and he just comes across very hard. And sometimes that's a way to, to be. If somebody is really just being self-righteous, they really don't want to know God's word, they're not looking for answers, sometimes harshness is, with, is good for them because you might shock them. Because, number one, they're not expecting that from a Christian. Uh, I've done that with somebody. I talked with him. I answered all of his questions. I spent about 20 minutes talking with him, answering all of his questions. And then he started repeating his questions all over again. And I finally just said, we're not talking any further because you are not looking to find answers. You're looking to waste my time that it could be used to talk to other people. And he goes, well, you're, you're, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to talk that way to people. I go, no, I'm not letting you waste my time. And I basically chased him away because it was... He wasn't, there to, he wasn't there to engage in any learning. He was there engaged to argue. And don't spend your time arguing with people. You can answer their questions, but when it becomes obvious that all they want to do is argue, don't waste your time trying to talk to them. Yeah. And that doesn't mean just stop it just because they ask you a question and stop talking to them. It's, you, know, you, you know what I'm saying. There's a t point in time on a, when you're discussing something with somebody but they're no longer looking for answers. They're no longer looking for the reasons for what you believe or reasons for what they believe. They're, they're just trying to argue with you. When you do a street evangelism, they'll be, Satan will send somebody along to you whose, whose goal is to keep you busy arguing with that, that one person, debating with them, getting nowhere, while five other people walk by that you could have given gospels to and gotten the gospel message to. So just be aware, be discerning, don't blow them off if they're really seeking answers. And there are people who seek answers. But if they're just repeating the same arguments and they're just being argumentative and they're not listening to your answer and all they're doing is waiting to get the next argument in, it's annoying. You, just, you just let them go. Next, next, next person, next person, because there's plenty of people out there that, want, that are ready to hear. And if we're spinning our wheels ministering to that person, it's not of any value. So Jesus turns from the disciples after having said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're lifting up man's ways above mine. Then he turns to the people. Hear and understand. Listen to. Hear the words that I'm speaking and understand them, perceive them, discern them. Okay, so he's turning. He's now being gentle to the multitude. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles man, but what comes out of his mouth that defiles man. Very simple statement. It's not what, you, not what you eat, it's what you say and do. And you know, that's a real true statement because you, everybody will act out of what is in their heart. You know, you can have somebody saying all the right things, how nice they think you are and how wonderful they, they think you are, and then you hear them talking to somebody else and they're ripping you to shreds and you know what's actually in their heart. They, with their mouth they were saying good things and then in their heart later on you see how bitter and angry they are. And Jesus says, you know, people, not, not like them, not like them, not, not words, but how do you really feel? And then the disciples said, you know, uh, verse 12, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that what you're saying? Stumbling block, up, 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 upset. The, the scribes were upset. You said that the traditions of man were not as important as God's word and you reverse their order, and they were, they were offended by that. And they would have been offended by that because they literally, and even to this day, Orthodox Jews place the traditions of men above the plain writing of the scriptures. Now, they'll profess that they believe the, the Torah and all of that, but what they really look at is what have, this rab, what have the rabbis over, over 4,000 years said about the Torah? And whatever they say is more important than whatever the plain scripture says. Whatever the traditions say are more important than what the scriptures say. They are doing the same thing that many cults do, where they have another book that explains the Bible. 
They'll have the Mormons saying, well, the Bible's a really good book, but you need this Book of Mormon to help you understand it. You need the Pearl of Great Price. You need the Doctrines and Covenants. You need, you need these other books to really understand because you're not going to understand this real well. So you need these other books that were written by man that over our, overshadow the Bible. And Watchtower does it with the, with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, the Bible is really good, but you need our version of the Bible, not just any version. And you need the Watchtower. Whatever the Watchtower says is, is of more importance than what the Bible says because it, in, it interprets it clearly. You know, and we see this over and over in so many religions. And Christians over periods of time, certain denominations have done the same thing. You need our prayer book, our, our catechism book, our this book, our that book. Uh, Catholics do it. You know, whatever, the, whatever comes down from the Vatican is more important than whatever the Word of God says. And anytime you get this place where something is more important than the Word of God, you're going down the wrong path. Any church. Any church that says, well, this, this pamphlet is more important. This is my problem when people start quoting from commentaries too much. Our commentary is good. Commentaries are good if they're used correctly. And how do you use a commentary? Go in, study the Word of God, have the Spirit, Holy Spirit teach you, you know, tear apart the words if you want, get into the lexicons and find out what the words mean. After you've studied it, then you can go to the lexicon, uh, the commentaries and see what man, good, godly men have to say about the verse. Too many people read the verse, go to the commentary, then do their own study based on what the commentary said. And good and bad, there's some guys that are very good commentators. And they're good in most of the places, but there's not a commentary out there that is good every place. No matter which one you use, there's something wrong or slightly off on what they say, even though they're good. Uh, as much as I love Dr. J. Vernon McGee, there's things that he says that I don't agree with. Not a whole lot, <laughs> but there's things he says that I don't agree with. I like listening to Chuck Smith. There's things that he has said that I don't fully agree with everything he says. So does that make him wrong and me right? Not necessarily. I could still be wrong. I just don't agree with what, he, what they say. And you know that but that is going to be something that's part of being a good Berean. Go into the scriptures and search out the scriptures and say, this is what the scriptures say. And search them. Because the greatest teacher you have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what he wrote in this book and he's very good at teaching us what the real meaning is. Because he wrote it. He's the one that directed people and he knows what it means. And he'll tell you and it'll, it'll witness to you. So they say, they, you know, just, they, they go, the Pharisees were upset with you, and I love Jesus' answer. He goes, every plant which, the, my, which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. So he says, if God didn't plant them, they'll be taken up in the, in the, in the end. And this goes back to the, the weed and the tares and, and all the different things that we've read in the past. He goes, let them alone. They would be the blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. How many times have I shared this? People attack you, leave it to God. Now, they're attacking you, they're teaching wrong to different people. It's God's problem, not my problem. Because inevitably, when we try to defend ourselves, we're going to say something wrong, we're going to say something stupid, we're going to, our emotions will get kicked in. And how easy is it to speak through your emotions and not think about what you are saying, especially if you are angry or defensive uh, in a in a debate one of the one of the things they love to do in a debate is to get the other side emotionally charged into it uh, people love to debate somebody who is emotionally attached to the topic that they are are defending or promoting because once you're emotionally attached you will do and say things that don't that make no sense uh, a lot of times it's easier to debate the opposite side of something that you believe because you're not emotionally attached to it so you can do the logical thinking. And we want to be careful. And God is going, you know, they, just leave them alone. <laughs> leave them alone. They're, they're going to say what they want to say. They're going to do what they want to do. And usually Jesus ignored them. John the Baptist usually ignored them. Every once in a while he'd speak to them and say, you're, you're hypocrites. Who warned you to come out here? But for the most part, they talked to the people who wanted to hear. 
And that's what, again, my, my statement for us. Spend time talking to the people who are wanting to hear the gospel. Don't waste your time talking to those who want to just argue the gospel or defend their position or, you know, I'm such and such uh, faith, you know, and we're, let's have a big debate on, on this. And they have no intention of, under, of living it. There's certain things I will say when somebody says, well, I can worship God on the mountain or on the, on the lake or on the field. I'm going, yes, you can, but are you? That's all I say. I don't, even, I don't even pursue it beyond that because I just want them to think. You're absolutely right. You can go to the mountaintop and worship God. You can go down to the beach and worship God. You can worship God in the middle of the wilderness. But are you? Because it's all a smokescreen anyway. And unless they're willing to accept that, uh, well, he just saw through my smokescreen, there's no use going in and trying to teach them why it's important to go to church. That God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. That we need one another so that we get built up, we get edified, we get... We get corrected. We get the rough burrs knocked off us by the guy that we don't even want to be around, you know, and, and is obnoxious and, and makes us angry, but we need them as well because they're the one that kind of bumps our flesh and makes us see that we still have a flesh problem. <laughs> you know, you get that person that just irritates you. They're just, uh, says just the things that make you angry just by saying them. You know, they're not even being mean or nasty. It's just, you just don't like the way they say it. You don't like the... You don't like the way they look, whatever it might be. But you need that person in your life also as a Christian to sand down the, the, the flesh and say, okay, God, I just had a reaction. I need you to help me learn not to have those reactions and be more like Jesus, even to this person that I can't stand. And then eventually you get to love them and they're no longer bothering you and you start seeing good in them. And then God will bring some other person to, to rub you the wrong way. Yeah. And usually what ends up happening is you get the person in the church and they rub you the wrong way and a lot of people will say, well, I just can't stand being around that person because they just make me feel bad every time I'm around, so I'm not going to that church anymore. And if they go to another church, they're going to find another person who rubs them the wrong way because that's what God's purpose is for us to bump up against each other's flesh and irritate each other's flesh and learn, have to learn to be like Jesus. And yet we, we, we coil against it. I don't want to be around that person. That person is, you know, bothers me. <laughs> you know, they smell funny. They sound funny. They act funny. They, you know, they, they think funny. You know, whatever it might be <laughs> that bothers you. And God's saying, they're part of my body. Learn to love them. Learn to love them. Sometimes it takes a long time to learn to love somebody. But you know, when you finally get there, you look back and go, why was I ever bothered by this person? They, and God starts showing you the good things about them. And yet, when you're in the middle of learning something, it's hard. But that's true of anything, isn't it? God says, I want you to take this out of your life. God, I really like that. I don't want it out of my life. You know, God, don't do that. And then six months later, when it's gone, it's like, why was I so worried about <laughs> that area? You know, it was really worthless. It really was worthless. And you get to the place and going, wow, you know, it's... God, you're right, I didn't, I didn't need it. It was terrible for me. And it's all learning. It's all learning to grow. And then after he says that the, those are just blind, Peter goes, declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, are you also yet without understanding? Now this word for understanding here is quite interesting. Because literally he goes, are you that dull, unintelligent, and stupid that you couldn't, couldn't understand this after all the time I've been walking with you? Okay, Jesus is not very kind here at the, when, you, when you read it in the Greek. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're that dull. I mean, you guys have been walking with me for how long? <laughs> and sometimes that's exactly the way a teacher will speak to a student. You know, how many times have I told you this? You know, we've, we've covered this how many times? And God is patient, and I'm learning as a teacher to be patient. You know, how many times does God repeat something in the scriptures? It's amazing to me when I'm studying and, and I'm teaching out of five different books, how many times I feel like I'm teaching the same exact thing in all five books because God repeats himself so much. And here he's saying, basically, he's not even just saying that. He's kind of going, are you really this un, you know, dull and you really have not been paying attention? I think there's sadness in this statement. You know, Peter, how long have we been talking? You know, we're getting close to the end of my life. You guys, are, you guys are supposed to go teach this now. And you're still not understanding simple truth. 
And he goes, do you not yet understand that whatever enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the drought? Now, this literally means you eat it and then you poop it out. <laughs> it's dung. It goes out in the dung. Because whatever you eat gets, goes out of the body. And now we know through science and everything that that's not a complete statement. You, you can eat things that are so bad that it will give you, you know, hurt you. But it doesn't defile you. It doesn't make you unclean in your mind. It might make you a little sick. It might make you feel bad for a while. But eventually, whatever you eat will come out of the body and will be expelled from the body. And we know that, whether it's through diarrhea because you got sick enough that it really wanted to get rid of it, or you're in an upset stomach and finally, it, and finally it gets gas out. He says, it's not what you eat that is the problem. He goes, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart they defile the man. And he's going to go into the whole thing he said before that what is the treasure of your heart will be spoken. And this is what's true. When people speak, you will hear what's important to them. Somebody who truly loves God and usually speaks kind words and, and loving words and uplifting words, you know that that person's heart is with God. And what they say about behind somebody's back is so important, you know. When they say, well, this person's really this or that and really good and they're really building them up, even behind their back, you know that that heart has love. How many people have you heard say one thing and then talk behind somebody's back viciously and attack them? And we need to be careful about it because it's easy for us to do. It is so easy for us to get wrapped up in saying things about other people because it's part of what the flesh wants to do. And Jesus goes, he says, for out of the heart proceeds. All right, he puts a list here. Evil thoughts. This is poneros uh, thoughts. And this is kind of an interesting phrase because he is saying these thoughts are poneros, evil. And it has its basis in pornography and that type of evil. It's not quite fully sexual evil. And thoughts here is very interesting. He says, thoughts that question truth. Out of our heart, questions that, that question what truth is in an evil manner. Now, it's one thing to just say, as you did earlier, you have some questions about the Bible. You're trying to clarify things. You know, it's, it's one thing to try to clarify what you believe and clarify truth and ask lots of questions. It's one other thing to be using questions in such a way that you're attacking truth. Pilate did this when Jesus said, I, you know, of the truth, and Pilate's question was, ah, what's truth? Okay, what, what is truth? You know, you're saying you're truth, but what is truth? And he wasn't looking for truth in his, in his question. He's going, well, you know, we've been studying that for a long time. We've had Aristotle, we've had, we've had Plato, we've been studying truth for a long time, and we still don't know what truth is, and you're telling me that you know truth. And he's going, what is it? That's this idea of evil thoughts. Murders. Jesus is going to say in, in another place that if you are angry with somebody without cause, you've committed murder in your heart with them. And you know, this is true. Have you ever been so angry that maybe you didn't pull the trigger on a gun or a knife? But boy, if you, knew, if you, found you could, thought you could get away with it, you probably would have. Now, you're just so angry with them that you would you'd commit murder if you thought you could get away with it. Or maybe not, but you think about how you might have done it. <laughs> Murders. How easy it is for us to get that way. Then he says adulteries. Having sex with somebody who's not our spouse. Or even idolatry is considered by God to be adultery because he says we are married to him. So if we are going out and following some other god, as far as God's concerned, we have committed adultery toward him. Pretty serious thought when you think about this. And again, Jesus raises adultery to the point of, he goes, if you've even lusted after somebody, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. You've committed the act in your mind, not, as, not the same as doing. So don't, get, don't ever get this idea that when Jesus said, if you've thought it, you've, you, you've committed it, there's a difference between the actual activity and the consequences and the thinking of it and the consequences. 
you're guilty both ways as far as God's standard, but you're, the consequences are not the same. And we've said this over and over. There are always consequences for sin. Always. No matter how we think there aren't, no matter how innocent we think our actions are, there's consequences for our sin, and God will declare our sin. If we don't confess it, he'll let other people know our sin because he's not going to let his children get away with sin. And we've seen this over and over. How many of these televangelists have gone in and committed adultery and God finally lets it come out? Usually it's years after the first event and God's basically saying, if you just confess, confess, get it, get it taken care of or we're going to make it out in the open. But we, we see this and Jesus is saying, these are the things that proceed out of the heart. These, these evils. He goes, fornications, having, and this is literally porineo por, in Greek, and it is literally any illicit, illicit sexual activity. Okay? It is not just any one. It is any of the various forms of sex that are out there that you could, could even imagine or not imagine, depending on how, how much you understand about that industry uh, and that area. But he's saying anything that's outside of marriage is fornication. You know, and that would be homosexuality all the way, you know, and even heterosexual sin, that, uh, sex outside of marriage, all the way down to all the different fetishes that can even be imagined. And that is included in that statement of fornications. Thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemers, those who speak irrelevant, reverently of God and accuse him of things. So these are the things that come out of the heart. And if you hear these things coming out of your mouth, examine your life. Examine what is in the center of your life, what is important in your life. And the only way that we get those changed is by getting close to God and his word. And it is so easy to get caught up in this world because our flesh wants to do these things. You know, if we really truly understood how evil our flesh is, it would shock us, number one. And the longer we walk with God, the more he shows us how sinful we are. Now you might think, you know, well, you walked with God 30 or 40 years, you should really think that you're pretty perfect. And, you know, some people do. But if they do, they don't know God. Because the closer I get to God and the more I see God's righteousness and his perfection, the more I look at myself and say, boy, am I filthy and dirty and ugly and God help me become more like you. And then the more I become like him, the more I see... <laughs> How dirty and ugly I am still. Why? Because I'm not measuring myself against other people. You know, many people who have been walking with God for a long time could say, well, you know, God, I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than almost everybody else in the church. I've never done this. I've never done this. I don't do this. I love people. I edify people. I build people up. And you can make a case for yourself looking pretty good when you compare yourself to the other people. But God never has asked us at once to compare ourselves to other people. He says, compare yourself to me. And if you want to compare yourself to God, be ready for a shock. And whatever you believe about God, and remember, I've said this over and over, whatever you believe about God, it's too little, too small <laughs> to begin with, no matter how big you think God is. Okay? I have a very big God in my mind when I think about God. And I don't have a big enough picture of God, and I'm bigger than most people's view of God. All right? How good is God? No matter how good you think he is, you're really too small. You're, you're too, too lightweight in your picture of God. The more you follow with God, the more he's going to grow. The more, the more his righteousness is going to grow and become a shining light. And we've said this before. His light shines upon us. In this room with these small fluorescent lights in here, the room looks pretty okay, doesn't it? But if we were to bring a great big uh, 10,000 candle power flashlight and we were to shine that anywhere in this room, we were going to see dust and dirt and, and everything. Why? Because there's more light. And if we could get a million candle power, you know, power source, we would, you know, but we see it all the time. You think a room is really clean when it's, when you've got the lamp on, you open the windows and let the sunlight shine directly in, and you go, let's close the window, <laughs> let's close the drapes, this room isn't as clean as I thought it was. Okay, same thing that happens to us. The closer we get to God, the more of his light that shines into us, 
the more and deeper it shines into our life and we go, oh, it's ugly in there, God, uh, I need to get rid of that. That should be our response. And we get rid of that, and then he shines a little more light in there and says, you know, okay, let's, in, let's turn the light up. Yeah. Why would he do such a thing? Because when you're first saved, you probably couldn't handle God showing you where he really wants you to be perfect. You know, you're still trying to work out the, the, the big sins in your life. You know, it's, you know, and, and I've had people say, you know, when witnessing, this one guy goes, well, it's easy for you to talk about being you know, walking after God. He goes, you've got your whole life together and going, you don't understand. I may not have the drinking and, and drugs that you're having problems with, but I've got plenty of problems that God is dealing with on me. And if you, and I'm not even going to share with you what God's dealing with me because I don't want to scare you because you're having enough trouble trying to figure out how to get rid of your, your drinking and your alcohol, much less where God's going to take you 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And this is what I keep saying. If you're the same person today as you were five years ago, ten years ago, you need to really examine your life with God and say, do I really know him? If you can look back and say, well, God, you've taken this out of my life. You've taken this out of my life. You've done, this has changed. And, you know, God, I'm, I am kind of a better person today than I was back then. Not to get prideful or self-righteous, but we do need to see I'm becoming more like God every day. Which just means I have a long ways to go. All right? Because the more I get like God, I'm still far away from him. Very far away from him in, in his standard. Because his standard is perfection. And number one, I will never be perfect. And the sad thing is, no matter how close I get to God, I won't be perfect. Even when I'm building somebody up and edifying and, and teaching them and, and helping them become a better Christian, oftentimes there's still a tiny bit of flesh in there saying, well, look what good I'm doing. Even though it may not be my motive, in the back of my mind, there's still this, hey, I'm doing a really good job. I, I, I'm really being obedient to you, God, even though, and as soon as we get to that point, we're really saying, look what I'm doing, God. This is my, my work. And this is one of the things. I look forward to getting to heaven, and everything that we do is not tainted by the flesh, not tainted by who I am. It'll all be righteous. It'll all be good. Because it's him. Because he's cleaned out the sin nature in us. Because our sin nature loves it. You might even have good motives while you're doing something. And later on you think back and go, you know what, God, look, look at all the good things I did this last week. And all of a sudden we get prideful about what we've done. We had all the right motives doing it. And you know, God, I've had a pretty good week. I did this, I did this, I did this. And God's going, what are you talking about? I worked through you. And we need to be so careful because it's so easy. And, but we do need to look at it and say, God, am I becoming more righteous? Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more forgiving? Am I be, is my heart attitude more like you? And you know when it is. You know when you meet people who, who are and those who are just saying it. You can, we've all met people who say all the right things. That they're, oh, I love everybody. They're so kind and everybody. And then they berate you, you know, five minutes later. And you know, make you feel about so high after they've been talking about how good they, how much they love you and all that. Uh, and it says, these are the things which defile man, but to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man, but comes from the inside. Who am I inside? How do we change what's inside? I'm crucified by Christ. I get into his word. His word washes me. It changes the way I think. And hopefully you understand when I say that you your thinking changes. Over the years, I've watched God change the way I think about people, think about how I think about the word, how I think about sin. And it keeps getting more and more knowledge because the truth teaches us. And he keeps going, here you go. Here's a little more truth. Here's the, oh, you thought you understood this? Let me give you it a little deeper. Let me give you a little more understanding. And this is the thing that I keep finding in my walk. Every time I get to where God is bringing me, and, I, and I'm, I no longer think this way. I used to think, that, okay, God, we're here. And God says, okay, we're ready to go to the next, <laughs> the next peak. We're ready to climb the next, <laughs> the next place. And it's usually about that fast, too. He doesn't give you much time to just be happy that you're where he brought you. He goes, okay, you're, you're doing good. You're, you're doing good. We'll give you about uh, two days to stay here. And now let's go, let's go to the next step. Uh, you, you, you now love this person, 
let's take you to this other person. You haven't liked this, you haven't liked this person in, in decades, so let's bring you into this person and teach you to love them. You know, let's take you, oh, you got this person? Let's take you to this next person. And this is the way he works with us, changing our heart, making it be totally different in all that we do. And we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you guide us. Help us learn to learn, to listen to you more, to study you, to have you change our very hard attitude so that when we speak, it'll be out of the love of you coming out of our heart and people will see that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.